The reading is from chapter 12 in the Gospel of John. We're reading 36 to 41. Put your trust in the light while you have it, so that you may become sons of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe, because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts, so that they neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. That is the word of the Lord. We're going to be looking at both darkness and then unbelief that comes from darkness today. As we grow in our own belief and our faith is then by strengthened by the merciful God above, we are enabled through his Holy Spirit to comprehend more and more the incredible details of the salvation plan that he set in place since before time. This is one of those passages that truly help us get that lift in comprehension of just how wonderful that plan is and how it is totally and only in the hands of God alone. Let us pray that we will have the willingness to read and ponder these things in our hearts as we go out during the week. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you to ask that you will indeed open our hearts and our minds to this passage, that we will understand it and what it means, that we may have a full comprehension of how it impacts on each of our lives. And it will change how we do things. This we pray in the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, this... This is the last public pre-crucifixion sermon that Jesus is actually giving in this time. Jesus has been offering them the opportunity to believe ever since he called the man that was born blind and he had given him sight. And now he hands them this open invitation, so to speak. He says in verse 36, put your trust in the light while you have it so that you may become sons of the light. It is his final offer. From chapter 13 through to 17, as we're going through, uh, we will find that the teaching that Jesus is now starting to give is only for the people that are his, people that he has called to follow him. Of course, with one particular exclusion of that, being Judas. Well, this last invitation to believe... John in the Gospel also adds, of course, some summarizing parts to that in the next few verses. This is not new to any of us, of course. 
this unbelief of the Jewish people at the time. It's been an ongoing issue all the way through from the beginning of the gospel till now. It's been all the way through the Old Testament, the unbelief and the disobedience of the people Israel. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. It's a truly amazing fact that with all these miracles and all this teaching over three years, they not only would not receive Jesus as their Messiah, but they actually went ahead and killed the Son of God. And to us, of course, this incomprehensible unbelief of Israel is sometimes difficult for us, especially today when we have had all these writers of the last 2,000 years to read and ponder these things in our hearts. And we can certainly see from other writings that the early preachers, such as Paul and all the others that came after the death of Jesus and the resurrection and the ascension, they had a good grasp of the real reason they had all written this down for them. This was all in the Old Testament. They had all the prophecies about Jesus, more than 300 of them. And they all had even had the prophecies telling them that the Israelites will not believe. They will not understand who Jesus is until a certain portion of the Gentiles had come to faith first. It's all in the plan. Paul speaks of this in Romans in chapters 9 all the way through 11. The truth of it is that the Gentiles and the Jews living outside of Israel, the state of Israel, came to faith. And that's what John is writing about, as well as what Paul is addressing in his letters. John, guided, of course, by the Holy Spirit, gives us all a biblical and a scriptural reason for why all this is what it is. In verse 38, he tells us, This was to fulfill the words of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That was the first verse of Isaiah 53. This chapter in Isaiah is also the one chapter that synagogues will not preach on today, and they won't even read it because it is just way too direct and serves only to point that the person of Jesus is the Son of God and they need to believe on him. We also know now, over 2,000 years later, that there were many Jews in places like Rome that, that had been distributed and, and escaped Jerusalem. They had become believers in Christ, but they were not in Israel. And we also know that even though there may be not a full number of Gentiles that have been brought to faith at this point in time, there are now also a lot of Jewish people living in Israel that have come to become believers on the Lord Jesus Christ. They are also today sharing the gospel with the communities around them in Israel. And we know also that these Christ-focused Jewish people, to a great extent, are also persecuted in their own land. Well, men like Paul and Peter and the other preachers in those days also suffered under this problem. 
suffered because they were being attacked, but also suffered because it was their people that didn't believe. They felt so sad that their own people would not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He would always go to the local synagogue when he arrived in any new town. Paul would do this. And when he had entered the synagogue, he would preach and they would reject him. And he would leave there and then he would go to the Gentiles. And he would then go there to get the response in favor of Jesus. And it's important for us also to fully comprehend that blindness and the lack of faith can also be so very destructive to each the person that do not believe. In verse 39, for this reason they could not believe because as Josiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. We've all heard about people coming to in contact with Christian people. They all hear wonderful stories. They hear stories about the life and the works of the Lord Jesus Christ and he walked on earth and for a while they respond. They seem to respond to what seems to be a reborn person and yet at a later stage they then totally reject everything they've ever heard and everything that has to do with the Lord they have rejected it out of hand. See, when a person is blind to the truth of Jesus, it's because they have not had the Spirit in them at all, ever. They have never had their hearts guided by the Spirit to understand and reveal the true Jesus Christ to them. This is what has happened at this point to the Jewish people in Israel. It simply means they're working on their own strength, they're working to their own decision, and therefore they're also able to change their mind at will. We are a fickle lot, us people. We make a decision for something one day and we'll change our mind the next day. It is a prerogative we have. We have a free will in that direction. The only thing we do not have a free will in is salvation. What they do not get when they do not... they. When they don't get what they want, they think they're going to have a wonderful life here on earth, right here, right now. But when they go into churches, they find that there's actually not all that, what they expected. And we also see this is happening right now in Jerusalem during this time with Jesus. See, they had wanted Jesus to come in. They wanted him to be their saviour king. They had pictured him, therefore, to be the guy who was going to come in and get rid of the Romans and be a new nation in the line of David, the king. But they didn't get that, and therefore they turned on him, and they called for his crucifixion. It's not in all this. It is not that God did turn them away. It may seem like that in the text, that he hardened their hearts and deafened and blinded them. But see, he didn't actually do that. What he did was, and it says here, he blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts. It's simply the fact that God never opened their eyes in the first place. He just left them as they were. This is where it gets really difficult. All people are born into sin. We are born, as Calvin says, we are born decrepit. 
All people are inherited all this from Adam and Eve, and hence all people are destined for death. And with that also destined never to be living with the Lord in heaven. Some people will call this double predestination. If you haven't been if you have been predestined to life, you obviously have uh, on the other side of it. It's the flip side of that coin. If you don't go one way, you will go the other. This is not, however, how God works. If you read the Bible correctly, we are, unless called by God and shown his mercy and his grace, we are indeed locked into the state that we were in at the time of our birth. We are unsaved and we are sinners. The point here is at some stage, if you read about all the miracles, or as the Jews had it, they were the eyewitnesses to all these miracles, they could be brought to a point where they might become a little confused and start to think there may be something to this, that there may be something about this guy, Jesus, that would work for them. That's why we have the next sentence that says, he had blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts, and they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts. It is people's own will and self-control that they are stronger than the evidence that they see. They have seen the evidence but do not believe it. The total lack and willingness to give oneself over to the love of God, to his will. And Paul speaks of this in Romans 9.14. He tells us exactly how it is. What should we then say? Is there injustice with God? Absolutely not. For he tells Moses, I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it doesn't depend on a human will or effort, but on God who shows mercy. For the scripture tells Pharaoh, I raised you up for this reason, so that I might display my power in you, and that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So then... He shows mercy to those he wants to and hardens those he wants to harden. It is all in God's hands. All of this fully agrees with what Jesus has been teaching all along. For three years now, he's walked and told them this. In, in John 6.44, he teaches them, No one can come to me unless a father who sent me draws him in. It is God that pulls people in to understand who Jesus is, which is also what he told him in verse 37. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. That's the assurance. Because it is God's decision, not ours, then he will not change his mind whereas we possibly would. That gives us assurance. Consequently, in terms of salvation... It's hardly necessary for God to blind anyone. As we said before, men and women begin blind at birth and comes to Christ only when God in his mercy intervenes to give them sight and lets them enjoy what Jesus proclaimed in verse 36, put your trust in light while you have it so that you may become sons of the light. That's what we do become when we are called. As against the warning that also we had in verse 35, it says, The man who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. 
we have no idea until such time as we know who Jesus is. We don't understand what awaits us down the line. When we read Romans, it says, For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense, and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, reptiles. Therefore God delivered them over to the cravings of their hearts, to sexual impurity, so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. Well, God didn't do anything to make them do this. In delivering them or giving them over, God is simply doing one thing. He's letting them have their own way with themselves to do what they want to do and continue of their path of destruction. Now, there are some good news in all this. It's not all terrible. There are some good news. Such blindness and unbelief may not be permanent or eternal for some. We still know. I mean, I was 45 before I come to know Jesus. But if you had met me at 43, you would have gone, there's no hope for that guy. <laughs> None. If you're willing to accept the truth that God's will and plan is all-powerful, that he only has the authority over life, then we can take heed for what Paul also writes to us in 9.27. But Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the numbers of Israel's sons is like the sand of the sea, only the remnant will be saved. And then again in 11.26 he says, And in this way all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the liberator will come from Zion. He will turn away godlessness from Jacob, from Israel. So there's good news. It's not forever for everyone. So it'll be with all people, all based on the fact that we as saved Christians, when we are saved by the Lord, are accepting that it is totally in God's hand alone, and it is a time and the place of our salvation is his time and his decision. We are saved. Then we can also have hope and pray for those of our friends and our family that still have to have the Lord Jesus revealed to them in his full glory. And then they come to understand and own him as their redeemer and their savior. Having a sovereign God that is something over which we have no control. We cannot change who God is. We cannot make God do what we want. And of course, with all of that understanding, is we only have limited understanding of who he actually is. Now let's go to verse 41. Have a look at that. It's a verse speaking simply about that. It's about the sovereignty of God. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. We can read in the Bible in Exodus 34, 6 about Moses that saw the Lord as he was wedged in a crevice in the Mount Sinai. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed Yahweh. Yahweh is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, rich in, and faithful in love and truth. That was for Moses. But then we also have in Acts seven fifty six. When Philip was stoned to death and he proclaims as he dies, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. 
Or we can stay with the sight that's provided to Isaiah, which is what we want to talk about. In verse 6, in verse 1 to 3 in chapter 6, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, seated on high and lofty throne, and his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him, each one had six wings. With the two he covered his face, the two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And the one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth. Isaiah's vision was unusual to say the least. God was something that you could not see, you could not imagine. It was impossible for the Jewish people to even comprehend what was going on. And yet Isaiah is giving this full vision of heaven. He's been given a clear sight of the throne room in heaven with the sovereign God himself, and he could see that the whole temple was filled with God's glory. There was no room for anything else. It is God's glory that is overwhelming. And he was given view of the seraphim that served the Lord. And finally we are told of how they worshipped and giving Isaiah and us some understanding of how we need to worship our God. Holy, holy, holy. Be holy because I am holy. The point of this vision, of course, is indeed of today's passage as a whole, is the comprehension actually of who God is. He's a sovereign God and is an all-powerful God who holds the world in his hands and sustains everything in his creation. When we get something, it is from him. It is all his. And then we also give an understanding of who we are. See, when we understand who God is, we also see what we are. And what we are called to do or what we are given if we are given a vision of who Jesus Christ is through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we need to have an attitude of that of Isaiah when the Lord asks him in Isaiah 6, 8, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Isaiah responds truthfully and honestly. Here am I. Send me. He wants to serve God. He has seen, he understands who God is, probably more than any man alive. We have truly seen Jesus, and we have confessed our sins and been cleansed of them. We too would want to speak of Jesus and the full incarnation of God. If we truly comprehend what Jesus had to do for you, wouldn't you want to share that news with those around you? Would you not want them to understand? Would you not want them to be with you? If you think of it, whoever you speak to today about the gospel and they receive the Holy Spirit and they understand what you just told them, they will be with you for all eternity in heaven. Now, are there some people that you know that you would like to be with you in heaven? then you need to go and talk to them. We need to ask the question of ourselves, is that really what we are doing? Is that how we live our lives? Is that what Isaiah, the seraphim, is that what did Paul and the Peter and all the rest of them did? Is that what we do? 
we have been saved exactly the same way as what Paul was at Damascus. We should live the life accordingly. We can only pray and hope that the Lord will give us clarity as we ponder all these things in our hearts. May he indeed bless you with visions. May he bless you with understanding. Let's pray. Our gracious and loving God, we come to you to thank you for all this. We thank you for the understanding we've been given through your word, that you are indeed the sovereign God. It is your will above all wills. It is your plan above all plans. We pray, Lord, that you may, through your Holy Spirit, guide us to be obedient, obedient to your plan as Jesus was obedient to your plan. We pray this, of course, in Jesus' name.